Welcome to a special road trip edition of West Virginia Beer Roads and Beer Appalachia. I'm Charles Bachway. You know, West Virginia craft beer fans love to make road trips for beer down to the western North Carolina area and Asheville uh, because they have so many wonderful breweries there. On the drive to Asheville, you pass by Johnson City, Tennessee, and it's a place you don't want to overlook as a great beer stop along the way. So today we visit with Chris Cates, founder and brewer at Little Animals Brewery in Johnson City. Little Animals Brewery is creating quite the beer buzz in its first two years of operation. It's beginning to get lots of recognition and love from far and wide. I stopped in to talk with Chris Cates and asked him how he got into the beer business and to tell us the story behind Little Animals Brewery. I got the idea to open a brewery uh, in about uh, early 2014. Um, I like like all home brewers. I, I you know I, I got into home brewing, fell in love with it, and um, it, when you go down that path, all home brewers will eventually say, "I want to open a brewery." And so I did that, and my wife was like, "Eh, no, how about not?" Like you don't know how to, to run a business. You don't know like the first thing about like licensing. Yeah. Like this is yeah. a bad idea. And I was like, yeah, well, you're right. So at the time, I worked uh, at a uh, local music shop that my dad and grandparents owned. It was a, a family shop uh, called Kate's Music Center, our last name. And I did sales, pro audio, and guitar repair there. And so um, I thought, well, I'm... I'm I'm familiar with retail. Like mm -hmm. re retail is something I can do. I'm very familiar with, have experience with it. So maybe maybe there's something to that. So like the next day, almost like co weirdly coincidental and convenient, uh, Jordan over there works here with me. Um, Jordan, who's uh, at the bar today too. Yeah. So Jordan, we we, we home we are homebrew buddies. Uh, said that I was down at the brew shop and they told me that they were looking for someone to buy the shop because the guy that ran it, uh, Kevin, uh, was, was needing to move for some reason. The, the shop, the brew shop was his side gig mm -hmm. and he needed to move. Uh, he's being relocated by his work. So I was like, oh, that's it. Like we, uh, I, can, I can open a homebrew supply shop. I can, I can buy this homebrew supply shop. So I went and talked to Kevin about it, and he was familiar with me from coming in there, and he was all about it, and he was like, yeah, I just want someone to, he was very passionate about homebrewing, he was like, I, I want someone to carry this on, and so he sold me his remaining inventory uh, for, you know, just what it was worth, and he gave me all the fixtures, the coolers, everything. He's like, you can have all this stuff, just buy the inventory, and, and it's yours. And my um, lease on this uh, on this spot is good for another two years, but you'll have to deal with that eventually. But at least you're good for two years. And uh, long story short, the, the, we went through the process of the business changing hands. And the first day it changed, it was mine. This is in 2014. The first day it was mine. The, le the, the landlord came to me and he said, you know, I have a, a lease with Kevin, but not with you. So. Uh, and, and I have a, a corporation that needs to take these three spaces that I own and you're right in the middle. 
So I, you got to, I need you out. So um, we, uh, you know, we're in a panic now because we, we owned a business for the first time ever and we uh, got the rug pulled out from under us. So I went and panic, panic, trying to find another spot. And I found a spot just down the street from where we are now. Signed the lease, went in, painted it, cleaned it up, and we're moved in and we're open in like three days. It was like the busiest weekend of my whole life. So uh, that was 2014 when, yeah. when you opened the homebrew shop. Yeah, opened the homebrew supply <laughs> shop. And then um, it's called the Edisonian Brew Shop. Uh-huh. Uh, it was named after the, the space we were in was the location of a historic movie theater. It was the first movie theater in Tennessee called the Edisonia. That's what we called it that. Wow. We, we ran that brew shop for five years with the whole time with intention to, you know, go move into brewing at some point. Yeah, so your goal from even when, from the time you started home brewing and fell in love with it was to someday, maybe we could open a brewery. Well, I, yeah. no, I started home brewing just cause I really, really loved Belgian style beers and I couldn't get that many in our stores around here, specifically right. Saison and Saison DuPont. So when I first started home brewing, I was like, I was a beer drinker and beer fan before I was a brewer. So I was like, I don't care about brewing IPAs, etc. I just want to be able to brew good saisons and I can buy the other beers that I want. Yeah. That was my mentality back then. And no, so, I hear you. You, were, you got into home brewing a little different maybe from some because you were just looking for the through the beers you couldn't really get locally, exactly. yeah, the yep. styles, yeah. So um, I uh, fast forward, I, I 2017, uh, this uh, guy, his name's Dick Nelson, everyone downtown knows him, he's, he's, he ran a business in here that was called Nelson Fine Art Gallery, uh, and he also currently runs a custom framing shop that's behind us okay but he came to me and said he heard that I wanted to open a brewery and he had had beers that I had brewed that people had given him and he we poured at homebrew festivals and stuff and he'd had my beer at festivals and he wanted uh, he wanted to know if I wanted to look at opening a brewery in a space so we started renovation on on this spot and uh, went through a lot of troubles uh, with this you know standard issue code compliance stuff that the building needed we don't need to get on into that but no that's too a long time but that happens to yeah, every yeah. guy that gets started with a small brewery yeah it, it's, it's you often takes yeah. extra months you don't expect so it, it took a while to get this up and running and then we finally opened or we had a date to open and then the pandemic happened and oh, then man. Uh, we were uh, we were supposed to open in March. We started production in February 2020. We were supposed to open in March, and then we ended up um, putting that on pause. And then we opened we opened for to go only in April of 2020, and we were to go only for uh, until September. We opened our tap room in September, and then we were open September October. In November, we all got COVID, and we had to close again. Uh, and we were, we were closed until January, uh, and we, we reopened in January 21, and we have not shut down since. So go ahead and start talking a little bit about how you've decided what you would brew, all the beer styles. I'm sure some of it goes back to the ones you couldn't get that you like to yeah. make as a home brewer, but then uh, t- tell me how that got to be a commercial beer. 
for whatever reason, I really love uh, Belgian-style beers, Belgian-style Belgian style farmhouse ale, you know, Saison, mixed culture sour beer. Uh, I love Flanders Reds, my favorite, one of my favorite beer styles, things like that. And uh, I always wanted to open a brewery that in some way uh, focused on that as much as we could. And the reason I say as much as we could is because currently in our market, those aren't the most popular beers. So you're going to have a hard time surviving off that solely. Sure. So, sure. Uh, you know, we, I wanted to open a brewery that, that focused on farmhouse ale. And that's where the name comes from. Little, animal, uh, little Animals is from the word animalcule. And that is an archaic word for microorganism. Uh, I had no idea. And that, and the whole thing is, uh, it's the, the focus is on the the yeast and the symbiotic relationship of wow. Britannomyces, Lactobacillus, and Pediococcus mm-hmm. uh, in in mixed culture brew. That is what I like to say our intent is, right. but that's not to say that we don't brew other beers too. So you know that is intended to be the the focus, but. You know, I, I came to the realization that if we're going to be downtown uh, on the strip and people are going to come in who don't even know that we focus on a certain thing, they're just walking into a downtown bar, right. uh, we're going to need to brew uh, crowd-pleasing beers. So we also do, uh, you know, I, I have a, I don't have a, a narrow interest as far as beers go. I mean, I love Saison, but I also love uh, German-style lagers. And I love uh, West Coast IPA a lot. Unfortunately, we don't have one right now. Uh, I am not actually the biggest hazy IPA fan myself, but we still make them. But you still uh, make them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I love uh, low, low gravity English beers. So we always have an ordinary bitter or a, a, dark, a dark mild on. Yeah, I see your pub ale up there. Yeah, so I'm, I'm drinking right here a couple of your beers. Uh, I want you to tell me a little bit of that first one I've been drinking is the Grisette. Yeah, so uh, that beer is called Cezette, and that the name of that beer is actually kind of a joke uh, that <laughs> Bob Sylvester and I came up with because is Grisette a Saison? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what separates Saison and Grisette? Well, not really anything. Grisette is a marketing term that was pretty much thrown on pretty much a Saison. Some might say what defines it is a larger amount of malted wheat specifically. But, okay. but Cezette, Grisette is a Saison. Now, Saison isn't necessarily a Grisette, but Grisette is a Saison. But, okay. but we call it Cezette as a joke because is it a Saison or is it a Grisette? It doesn't matter. I think it's, so. what I see, in, again, small American breweries, when you do a Grisette, seems like it's normally a lower ABV than their Saison. Saisons yeah. tend to be a point or two higher uh, in ABVs, and the Grisette's more a lighter, a little bit lighter style. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if that's what you do here. Well, but. Yeah, so ours runs, was, what is this one, 4.9? Yeah, 4.9. So we try to keep it under 5. Yeah. Uh, it's brewed with Riverbend Pilsner and wheat malt uh, and uh, Noble Hops. We change the, we change the hop around uh, a little bit. That the batch yeah. you're drinking is actually uh, Sterling. We were trying like a noble adjacent American hop. In so, this batch. okay, that's curious. Usually we use Howard Tau, though. Okay. 
But ha and were you happy with the Sterling hop in there? Yeah. I, I think it tastes yeah, great. for sure. Yeah, I would, I would do that again. It was just, uh, we're fortunate in that with our small batch sizes, we can play around a little bit. Like we don't have to worry about repeatability right. that much. That brings me to a good question, small batch. How big is your brewing system? Uh, three and a half barrels, and we have seven barrel fermenters. So we yeah. have the option to double batch if we want. Mm -hmm. We don't always double batch, though. Okay. Now the next one I have is Nighthoss. Nighthoss is a collaboration with uh, Riverbend Malt, and it's a, uh, a kind of a craft malt take on a Czech dark lager. Wow. Uh, so. Very uh, malty. Yeah, very. <laughs> it's very so, malty. Not really to style for Czech Dark Lager, but uh, Riverbend did a thing called Riverbend 10 here recently where you could brew a beer with this malt they made for their 10th anniversary that was Munich malt, uh, uh, I'm sorry, wheat malt kilned like Munich. Like oh, okay, dark wheat sure. Malt. So what that beer is, is a, ru a special run of floor malted Czech style Pilsner malt, 20% um, was called Sunset Wheat, the special wheat malt, 10% an unreleased pilot batch of Karamunic that they did and uh, some black malt for color. And then the hops in that are all Michigan grown saws from my friend Brian's farm in uh, uh, Michigan Hop Alliance. And so in, in making a, a, a beer with Riverman Malt where the focus is local agriculture, we don't, it didn't really have any local uh, hops that I had access to that would be appropriate for that beer. So I was like, let's at least get them from a farm of, of uh, yeah. a friend and, and uh, you know, a small farm. And maybe a smaller, uh, yeah, a smaller, a smaller operation. operation. Exactly. So I like that idea. All the ingredients in that beer, other than 3% black malt that was just for color, are from uh, small yeah. farms, which is cool. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and that one is a complete one-off. I mean, we'll do something similar, but sure, it's not a sure. mainstay at all. That's a good example of a beer you can find here that won't be something you'd have probably anywhere else in the region, or maybe even you know because the, like the, I don't know who else is making darker wheat lagers in a Czech style. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just something you won't find every day anywhere. <laughs> it's just an idea that me and uh, Brent from uh, from Riverbend yeah. uh, came up with when we were talking about a. Uh, a beer to collaborate on together. Uh, beautiful uh, flavors in that, the combination of those, uh, the wheat malts and the other darker malts kilned that way. It's, yeah, beautiful. And with the, the Saz, American Michigan Saz hops, that's cool. All right, now I've got another beer. Um, this one is a, oh, this is the Back to your word, animal cool. Animal cool. Animal cool. Yeah. Sorry, animal cool. So, yeah. Animal cool is the like I said a minute ago is the namesake for the brewery. It's where it's where little animals came from, mm. and so we don't really have a flagship per se. But if we had a flagship beer, that would be it. Um, it is by style a saison decoupage. So what we do with that is yeah, we talk about what that style means. Yeah. So we brew, uh, it's Saison Decoupage, or Beer Decoupage, this means uh, beer for cutting or blended beer. So uh, in, in Belgian brewing, it would be like Saison uh, blended with Lambic, mm -hmm. but uh, we produce our, uh, we just call it acid component, 
-hmm. but it's just our barrel-aged sour stock. So we produce this sour stock that's specifically for blending. So you, we think of that beer as an ingredient more than it is a, a beer in itself. And so the acid component is barrel-aged sour. It takes eight to 12 months in oak. Yeah, so that's and, legit traditional yeah. souring method. And um, we blend that with fresh Saison, mm -hmm. just like normal, uh, you know, uh, noble hops. Um, we use a little bit of wheat malt, a little bit of rye malt. So we brew this Saison and then we blend in the acid stock yeah. and then we fruit it. And that ages as a blend for uh, usually about two, three months before release. That's very and, nice. Uh, yeah, it's, we, we use that as a vehicle for doing different fruits in. We right, I can see that, but it's there's got to be an art to that blending in just enough of the of the sour stock as with the saison stock to gain that and that receptability for the fruit and different fruits that probably even make it make you need a different blend even uh, between a, yeah. a peach or a cherry would be probably quite different. Um, Example, that one with peaches is 70% Saison, 30% uh, acid stock. And we're doing one with black currant coming up pretty soon that is um, black currant's much more acidic than peaches. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to taste to know, but I'm, I'm like speculating it's going to be more like a 80 20 blend than a, than a 70 30. Just yeah. the acidity of the fruit. Well, this—I mean, while you get a lot of uh, acidity in this beer, it's still really mellow by the other, I guess, addition, and that's so it's just enough that it makes it very drinkable. It's—it's it's not one that you just have to sip. You can uh, take a big swallow of, it, of this uh, animalcule peach. Beautiful. And so, if you come in here in the future, you probably find other uh, varieties of animal fuel. You will find different fruit blends yes, within it. So far, it. we've done one a year. A one? A, oh, only yeah. one a year? Because it takes so long, yeah. I mean, to get the. Okay. Yeah, so we're on our second. We're on our second year. So that's oh. the second iteration. Well, this is nice. I'm glad I was here to get this peach. All right. Now I'm moving to the uh, special beer for me because it's uh, something that was brewed with somebody I know. Uh, collaboration. Why don't you just introduce this uh, last beer I have here? So uh, that beer is called Don's Lemaire, and it's a collaboration with Bob Sylvester, who's a good friend of mine and a fellow lover of Belgian beers and farmhouse beers. The name means in the shit, <laughs> which is a French expression that you could equate it to like up shit creek without a paddle. Mm. Uh, yeah, up shit So it... <laughs> That we named it that as a, a kind of an inside joke commentary on the state of the uh, beer industry right now, because the, the the problem is, and the problem Bob and I have, are that a lot of times, not to say this beer is world class beer, but what we're what we're referencing mm -hmm. is world class Belgian style beers are kind of losing traction in the market to. Um, like silly one-offs, oh, beers yeah. with cereal and candy in them and stuff like that, mm -hmm. to the point where a lot of shops don't even carry uh, those kind of cla quintessential classics, 100 on Beer Advocate beers, because what's more popular than that is like a um, kettle soured goza with lactose and, and yeah. gummy bears in it. The name of that beer mm. is a commentary on the beer industry, uh, just 
saying that we're in a pretty bad situation when world actual world class beers are losing traction to kind of like silly one-offs. The beer stylistically is our attempt to recreate a pre 2000s or beer. So Didol or beer is a sure. classic Belgian style dark strong. It's one of Bob and yeah. I's favorite beers. Yeah, yeah. Something interesting about or beer is that prior to the year 2000, they brewed that beer with yeast they got from Rodenbach and sure. it would become sour in the bottle with time. Um, and now uh, it, it doesn't really, but uh, prior to 2000, so Palm bought Rodenbach and Rodenbach ceased selling yeast to, to okay. other breweries. So uh, if you could have had a, a, an old bottle of Ore beer prior to that buyout, it, it would have become somewhat tart on the sour spectrum over time. And Bob and I were trying to pay homage to that. So what we did, we, we brew a yearly uh, a Flanders Red called Spoils. Uh, we don't have any right now, unfortunately. We took, we, we brewed Bob's recipe for uh, a, Belgian style, a Belgian style Dark Strong. I think it's called Lectio Divina. He often had it at St. Somewhere. <clears throat> and then we blended in 10% uh, of the blend, our uh, Flanders Red style beer. Mm -hmm. And uh, we aged that blend in stainless under pressure, 15 PSI, to simulate bottle conditions for six months. And then we released the beer. So it became somewhat tart because the, um, the, the blended in barrel aged sour beer is actually an inoculant. So it carries that spectrum of wild yeast and bacteria with it and will further sour the blend. And so we aged that uh, as, as a whole and the pressure also affects the way that that develops. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's important to it because uh, Brett specifically will produce more of those funky, like barnyardy kind of earthy flavors okay. with no pressure than with pressure. So uh, you want to keep the pressure high. Like that's, that's why like Orval is not very, like it's, we've got bread in it, but it's not very like overly funky. No, no. Because the bread develops in the bottle under pressure instead of under no pressure. Okay. Except like a barrel. So we age that beer uh, under pressure as if it were to be, have been in a bottle to yeah. restrict that funk because those beers with what I call incidental microbes, meaning you didn't intentionally pitch them, they're just there. Um, like as in, as in vintage or beer, um, that has a different dynamic. So like if you were to make that same beer and pitch fresh pitches of all those microbes, it's gonna develop very like intensely. Uh, whereas if the microbes are there, but they're semi-dormant, they're incidental, that's going to affect the, the dynamics of the tertiary fermentation. Well, I think anybody uh, drinking a beer like this, and I hope people get down to, to try this, uh, Don La Merde, Oud Brun, that Little Animals, uh, they're going to find, I mean, the complexity of flavors and the levels of different tastes. I mean, there's definitely, you can taste yeast at work in here. You can taste the malts. It's all there, and it, but yet it's not like any American-style beer that you're gonna have uh, 
most places anyway that I can think of. Well, that's a that is a uh, pretty much a 1990s Belgian beer there. And interesting. You've talked a little bit about anyway the thoughts on the current state of the beer market for making this beer with Bob Sylvester, but what do you, where do you see locally here in your part of uh, you know the mountains of uh, Tennessee, East Tennessee? Where are you seeing the beer market go here for you guys? Well, um, that's that's a loaded question. So it's a constant battle to um, brew the beers that you want to see your brewery make and uh, brew beers that um, keep people happy, that people want. And you so kind of have to meet your customers in the middle a lot of times. Would you say that's your biggest challenge as operating a, a successful yeah. brewery? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, if I had it my way, we would have like, a German pills, a, a, a Bow pills, uh, two or three English beers, some sours and some saisons, and I would be happy. And maybe a West Coast IPA in there. But people want uh, people want hazy IPAs. Um, people want uh, you know the, the American market right now is all about really options. People just want like once not just one sour, multiple kinds of sours with different fruits in them maybe not just one hazy IPA so I like I said earlier I'm not a hazy IPA fan that doesn't mean I don't brew them I, I brew them to, to the best of my ability but uh, that's not what I go for to drink and I have dedicated ourselves to always having one hazy IPA at a time but you go to a lot of breweries they have three four five six hazy IPAs and uh, sometimes uh, certain customers are looking for that they, they'll you know you only have one hazy IPA well, yeah, because we, we like other stuff, though. Uh, so uh, it's a dilemma. I mean, I can see that. It, so you're constantly uh, worrying about what you want to make and what inspires you, and what and what you the feedback you're getting from customers and what you know you need to make to get people in the door. Yeah, and I imagine though that you have stories of local customers that have come in. They come in here enough, they've been exposed to the different beers, they've tiptoed their way into some of the styles you love, and then now they discover they love them. Is that, is that happens? Yeah, sometimes, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it is, uh, all that I said a second ago aside, like, it is pretty refreshing that um, two of our best-selling beers are our Pilsner, which we just re-released today because it ran out so quick. And uh, Denim Man, the, the pub ale, or secretly, it's an ordinary bitter, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, those are, we, we sell enough of those to brew them over and over again, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, because in a market of, you know, basically dessert beers and, and hazy IPA, that you can sell some, some real beer still. I use the term real beer jokingly. Some people might be offended by that, but you know what I mean. Like beer-flavored beer. Yeah, and I just tasted your Pilsner, and it is a true-to-style Pilsner. Uh, I guess you'd call it a, a Southern Germany or Bavarian-style Pilsner. Tell me about tell yeah, that beer. Yeah, so um, that beer is uh, one of my favorite beers that we make. Um, it's just a uh, very simple German Pils malt. Uh, a little bit of uh, carafone to try to 
try to get a, a slightly better head retention out of it. Um, Howler towel hops. Uh, that's it. Um, just process, temperature control, and time. German pills versus uh, Czech pills. Uh, higher uh, mineral content in the water. So I, uh, if you want to get into talking about water, um, I love high sulfate water. Uh, so uh, I, I, you can keep going higher and higher on the sulfate uh, to like West Coast IPA levels. That's what just is good to me. Because I've, I've sat and I've made uh, different water profiles in just the water and like had like a flight of waters. And you can tell a discern, like you can discern a difference between like a high chloride water, a high sulfate water, a neutral water. All right, folks. I mean, you can li listen in on this. You can actually do a water sample tasting, yeah. and I'm sure it that would different. be fun. Yeah. So um, I really <laughs> like German style pills because it stylistically can allow for a higher mineral content in your water. Uh, to the point where in this pills we use the same water profile that we use for West West Coast IPA, which is fairly high in the in the sulfate, uh, and you get that minerally dry. Uh, bitter leaning uh, crispness from it and 38 yeah. IBUs of Hallertau middle for a hops and uh, temperature control and time and that's it. It takes us about six weeks to get one of these beers out. I, I love West Coast IPA, uh, you know classic early 2000s uh, which is funny to say classic with early 2000s yeah. but they're much different now than they were oh, yeah. when I started drinking. Um, you know, like I, I turned 21 in like 2006, I think, and IPAs were much different then than they are now. Uh, but the, what I consider my quintessential IPA is a West is a West Coast IPA that's brewed with some of the what were then like cooler hops. So like, uh, you know, like uh, when pe people talk about Mosaic as a hazy IPA hop, but Mosaic was originally, originally a West Coast IPA hop, and the West Coast IPAs with Mosaic were freaking amazing um, back then. But, uh, you know, like Citrus, Simcoe, Mosaic, Amarillo, etc. Um, those, those IPAs in that window of like 2007, 2010, like before hazy IPA just took over, mm -hmm. those were like, like a what was that brewery in uh, California? Like Society, oh. main, main main beer company. Um, uh, of course, Russian River. Uh, some of the more modern stones that came out yeah. fondly remember as my quintessential IPA. We have a saison we do every now and then called Snakeskin Jacket. Uh, that's coming out. The new batch of that's coming out in a few weeks, but the thing we do in that beer is we we like to marry noble hops with modern hops. So we'll do like Hallertau and Simcoe was a batch. The new batch is uh, Whole Leaf, Sterling, Mosaic, and Amarillo, uh, which Sterling's not a noble hop, but it's akin to Saz, but American grown. Yeah. Uh, but we like to marry those herbal earthy floral flavors with the new school tropical flavors in that beer and it's, it yields neat results sometimes. And could you name maybe one beer style or a beer 
hybrid, whatever that you haven't yet brewed that you want to try and... Uh, what have I never brewed? I have never brewed a Kolsch in my whole brewing career. Home brewing, I, I have never brewed a Kolsch in my life, and I would like to give it a shot. <laughs> Not an easy beer to replicate yeah. in, the, in the way they drink them in Cologne anyway. I, guess I, just, but, yeah. I never saw the point because I like Pilsner so much, but, but as a challenge, I would like to produce a Kolsch, you know, a straight down the middle Kolsch. Well, fantastic. It's one of my favorite, uh, certainly summertime and easy drinking beers. And I have to make a trip back down here when you brew that Kolsch. <laughs> be fun. I've never brewed an October Oktoberfest either. Oh, well, hey, you're a little bit late for this I year, know. but maybe next, maybe 2023. <laughs> I considered it, but I uh, didn't get around to it. <laughs> Man, it's been great talking with you here today. Uh, uh, Folks, if you haven't been to Johnson City, there's several other breweries here as well. That's a fun little stop. If you're heading to Asheville from West Virginia and you, you want to try some fun places to, to drink a beer, you couldn't do better than Little Animals Brewing right here in downtown Johnson City. So Thank thanks you. again. Thank you. I really appreciate you. I appreciate getting to tell our story and talk about our beers and, and the kind words. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.